we're getting a new, start a new series today. New series like, uh, like a new, like a new, having a new baby to me. It's really it's so cute and beautiful and just hold it up, see if it, see if it will do anything. And, and, uh, and by the end, the baby's walking, you know, hopefully. So uh, I'm really, uh, really excited about this series. And uh, we're going to talk about eternity. Eternity is timelessness in, this, in a word. Today is called embracing eternity. In a minute, I'll tell you why I'm calling it that. If contemporary Christian music had been your taste in the ancient 1970s, you would have sang along with a song called I Wish We'd All Been Ready about people who were left behind when Jesus came in the form of the rapture. Not the second coming, but the rapture. Or you might have sang with the Imperials Quartet, It's a Great, Great Morning, Your First Day in Heaven, when you strolled down the Golden Avenue. Or you might have sang Soon and Very Soon with my favorite, Andre Crouch. Or if you were a Southern Gospel person like myself, you would have sang Just Inside the Eastern Gate. Or The King is Coming. And if you'd have gone to a church like I grew up in, you would have sang When We All Get to Heaven on a regular basis. And it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. And when we all get to heaven, he's coming soon. And our favorite, looking for a city. Every year at New Year's Eve, we sang looking for a city at 11.59. And Richard Hooper, our song leader, now, you're not going to believe me. You're, I'm going to lose all credibility when I tell you this. <laughs> you're going to say it's fake news. Richard Hooper would turn somersaults across the platform. That's what he's saying. I don't know what that had to do with anything. But he would do that. I know some of you raised Roman Catholic, you're going, what, what were you raised in? Well, I, I wonder that too sometimes. <laughs> But uh, I'm talking about that focus on the next life, the afterlife. I, never, I don't know. You know, I never got the memo, but the creatives must have got the memo that we had to quit singing all that stuff and uh, stop celebrating eternity and start celebrating now. You know, we had, we had bestseller books called, like, The Prayer of Jabez. Anybody ever read The Prayer of Jabez? It was about uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 4, verse 9 and 10, which read, Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. His mother had named him Jabez, saying, I gave birth to him in pain. Jabez cried out to the God of Israel, Oh, that God would bless me and enlarge my territory. Let your hand be uh, with me and keep me from harm so that I will be free from pain. And God granted him his request. Joel Osteen wrote, How to have your best life now. <laughs> Uh, Joseph Prince wrote Destined to Reign and he borrowed a direct quote from uh, a, a phrase in Romans Reign in this life. Joyce Meyer wrote books with titles like How to Succeed Being Yourself and Power Thoughts. And of course theologians like Tom Wright put a pen in a lot of Christians' balloon when he explained that the Olivet Discourse which is um, Mark, uh, Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21 uh, which describes uh, 
invading armies and the temple being torn down. Uh, he, he, he explained that that was mostly about Israel, except for a couple of verses. It's about, in 70 AD, Titus, Roman Emperor Titus invaded Rome and destroyed the temple, didn't leave one stone left upon another. So, uh, uh, I'm sure there are other factors that contributed to the way futurism has been replaced by nowism. In fact, I, I, I asked uh, the open uh, uh, AI platform, ChatGPT, I asked it if nowism was a word. And it told me, right, it got back to me right away, like within like two seconds. I wish you would get back to me as quick as <laughs> AI does. That's why you're going to be replaced, because <laughs> artificial intelligence is so efficient. I mean, in seconds, they told me this. Nowism refers to a cultural or societal emphasis on the present moment and immediate gratification, often at the expense of future considerations. Now, so why, why am I preaching this series? I'm going to preach this series because I think it's time... We bring now and forever back together. I think it's time that we bring eternity, the temporal world and the eternal world into one conversation and we incorporate that into our lives because I think we can be much more powerful people if we live in the now with an eternal perspective. I believe we can be much more effective people if we live in the now with eternal power. And I'm going to read two verses, and I hope you will take the time later to read the whole chapter of these verses and get the whole context. But it'll be enough to jump, have a jumping off point if I just give you the two, the, the two passages, uh, more than a verse, but uh, three or four passages. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of eternal life. This is 1 Timothy 6.12. Take hold of the eternal life. Underline that in your mind. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And then we're going to jump over to Romans chapter 8, verse 11. And if the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies because of the spirit who lives in you. So what we're talking about, embracing eternity, is, is acknowledging that there are two sides to this coin. There are two sides to the same coin. And that if we will recover the treasure of eternity, it will do something for our our temporary, our momentary state. There was something you may have heard about, maybe not, uh, called the Musaf Red Diamond. I understand that red diamonds are the most valuable. And uh, this was a stone that had been formed in the depths of the earth centuries who made its way to the various tributaries uh, in the country of Brazil until it came to rest on the edge of the river that I find unpronounceable, but it looks like Abetziano River, something like that. No one could know how long it took, but 
and it was rec- unrecognizable, really, covered with mud and sand, and it looked like any ordinary stone. But for some reason, a Brazilian farmer in 1990, when he w- went to the edge of the river and his foot stepped on this rock, something told him he should pick it up. And he picked it up and he covered the mud off of it and something told him that he might have something unique. And indeed he did. It was a 13.9 carat diamond. It was not reported what he sold it for, but it's believed that he sold it for $8.5 million. Similarly, I believe... In fact, the word the Bible uses this phrase, we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Something tells me we need to pick up the diamond of eternity and cover the mud and the sand off of it and polish it up and begin to hold it in our hands as something beautiful and wonderful. The phrase lay hold of, back in 1 Timothy 6.12, means to seize, grasp, or take hold of something with one's hand or one's mind. And it can refer to physically taking possession of an object or mentally or metaphorically grasping hold of something. Naturally, this is a more of a metaphor. The gospel critics of Jesus, the Pharisees and those guys, in one, a couple of instances, it says they laid hold of his words. It's the same Greek word as we find in 1 Timothy 6.12. They laid hold. In other words, they obsessed on his words. Now, they were doing it for nefarious reasons. But they obsessed on his words. They seized upon his words. They would take a sentence here and a sentence there, and they would try to trap him with that sentence. And, the, and, the, and then similarly, though, God is saying to us, I want you, I want you to think about eternity. I want you to obsess on this idea that you have eternal life living inside of you. You have eternal life as your future, but you also have it as a present power, as a resurrection power that lives in your soul and in your spirit. So first of all, I want to talk about the importance today of embracing eternal life. I say it's important, first of all, because it is the taking hold of true joy. Now, I say this because of 1 Corinthians 15, 19. For Paul says, if only in this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Now think about that. He's, he's talking about believers. He's talking about religious folks. He's talking about Christians. He's talking about churchgoers like you. Have, have you ever noticed that some people become more miserable when they get religion. <laughs> Have you noticed that some people are, some people at church are more unhappy than the people you sat with at the bar? Well, that's what Paul said. He said, there's a way of, of seeing your, your life that will make you more unhappy if you become a Christian. If you, don't, if you don't see it properly, you will actually be more of a miserable person as a churchgoer and as a church member than if you just didn't go to church. And he says, what will make you miserable is if you are trying, and I'm going I'm to say it in more, more, uh, com- with more complexity, 
in, with more words. You, you didn't know I was more wordy than Paul, <laughs> but I am. Uh, he, he was saying, you try to take the Christian faith and try, you try to fit it into a naturalistic, materialistic perspective. You try to make Christianity solve all the problems of the natural life. You try to make it solve every material problem in your life and you will be miserable because Christianity will not solve every natural problem. It will not solve all the problems in your material world. So that's the first thing. It's a taking hold of joy. Like a diamond. I'm going to, you know, there are days when the material world will be miserable. There are days when the natural world will be negative and confusing and difficult. And that's when the treasure of eternity. See, see that, that's, that's one thing that, that we, we understood back in the day when we were singing all those songs. When we were singing all these songs, a lot of those songs, especially those old Pentecostal hymns, came from people who were at the lower end of society. It came from people that were at the lower end of the socioeconomic ladder in the world. And so they would sing songs like, I'm getting ready to leave this world. And that lifted the burden of their life. The, 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 the African-American slaves would sing, sweet, low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home as they pick cotton in the field. They would sing, they would sing, uh, they would sing on uh, Canaan's land, I, 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 I cast my eye, I, I cast a wistful eye to Canaan's fair and happy land where my possessions lie. They would sing that as they picked cotton in the field in the hot sun in the south because of the oppressive. And, and they did something that we need to do again. Now I understand the church got too obsessed with going away in the rapture and too obsessed with leaving the world. I think we got too obsessed with leaving the world instead of making a difference in the world. I would agree with that if you said that to me. But I think we might have lost something and that is the, 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 the idea that God wanted us to find joy in eternal life. He wanted us to find joy in knowing there was a realm where there was no sorrow, no pain, no death, no politics. You'll get your joy back when you start loving eternity. Secondly, it's the taking hold of your own significance. True meaning in life, you know, is being alive in a way that you are significant to another person. It's very painful not to be significant to anyone. Some of you know that feeling. You don't feel like you're very significant to very many people. And it's a painful experience in life. Well, Jesus communicated something very powerful about significance related to eternity. And that is John chapter 14. I go to prepare a place for you. That where I am, there you may be also. Jesus said, I am so fascinated with you. 
I am so in love with you. I am so concerned about you that I want to spend forever with you. I want to go to prepare a place for you so that I can be with you forever. You need to, I'm telling you, that will change your life if you will believe that God loves you that much. That he is preparing a place so he can be with you forever. Because see, love is very inefficient. Love is very impractical and very inefficient. And love is not very cost effective. That was a real expensive thing that Jesus did and a very ineffective. I listened to a, uh, I listened to a professor from Columbia University the other day uh, talking about um, uh, artificial intelligence, which I alluded to earlier. He spoke excitedly about the replacement of humans by machines and robots. It was creepy. According to the current, you see, according to the current economic system, individuals are regarded, say I was kidding a while ago when I said you should be eliminated because AI is more effective than you. I was just kidding. I think, I, honestly, I, th I think it's a horrible value. According to current economic system, individuals are regarded as mere interchangeable parts subject to replacement if it improves efficiency. But God is not trying to be efficient. You know, God's not trying to be efficient. God is like, um, you know, I, 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 there was a famous, uh, Sir Isaac Newton was in a woman's house one day all those years ago when he lived. And it, it, it had, on, on her wall was this plaque that said, Thou God seest thee. And she saw him staring at it. She said, Isaac, people are going to tell you that that verse means that God is looking at you to catch you doing something wrong. But don't believe it. That verse means God is so in love with you that he can't take his eyes off you. That's the truth. That will change your life if you believe it. The creator of the universe loves you that much. You know, uh, Wednesday night, I, I was thinking about this idea of, of love and its inefficiency. And the world that we live in is so focused on efficiency and, and that, that, so, that depersonalizes everything. And I, I was, uh, Wednesday night... I got invited to uh, attend a roundtable at, 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 uh, at Brown University, um, the Templeton Institute, which is Templeton was a bill gazillionaire that, who created this foundation to get uh, academia and religion talking to each other. And so uh, Del Demosthenes, my friend who's, uh, who's uh, chaplain at Brown University, invited me to be a part of this, and we had a lovely dinner, and and uh, two doctors spoke, two heart, uh, 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 well, they're both heart surgeons, but uh, one is Dr. Aaron Singh, a world-famous uh, heart surgeon. He, he performed, uh, if you go online, it says 15,000, but he said, and I think he practiced a while after all that was published, he, he performed 20,000 open-heart surgeries in his career, more than anyone in the world, probably, for, for a day, 
Um, his wife was there. She said she never saw him. So four a day, open heart surgeries. And he said uh, one night he get, he's on call. I think it's Rhode Island Hospital. He was on call, and he gets a call. There's a girl in mid-20s who's heart in heart failure, and so he needs to go to the hospital. And he gets there and finds out, yes, he said he looked at the pictures, and her heart was like, it was like snowflakes. Her, her, uh, her valves were like falling apart. And uh, she was 23 weeks pregnant, and she was a heroin addict. And so he met with all the pe- people who make these big decisions, you know, who are thinking, they're thinking about, they're thinking about human life in terms of money, mostly. Is the hospital going to make any money? Well, the hospital not going to make any money on this, first of all. And no one has ever performed open-heart surgery on anyone who's 23 weeks pregnant. And he, he goes, so, so he meets with the staff, and the decision was, okay, we'll do it, but we have to take the baby. So he goes into the room where the girl's mother was there doing the rosary bead, so he knew he was in a religious context. The father's being praying over in the corner. The girl's there. She can barely move. And he says, okay, we'll do the surgery. We, we, you're going to have to be operated on right away. But we're going to have... I said, I've got to take... He didn't want to use the A word. He said, I've got to take the baby out. He said, this girl who could barely move said, you mean an abortion? And she, he said, she stood up and said, no. I will not let you take my baby. <laughs> he goes, okay, okay. We'll do it. Took her into surgery. Perform the surgery. They take her heart out, put her on a machine. He's monitoring two heartbeats. A baby's heartbeat and the, the young lady's heartbeat. He's monitoring two heartbeats. As they're operating, the baby's heartbeat stops. And he gets mad. He tells the staff, I knew we shouldn't have done this. Now we're going to have a dead baby in the womb, plus everything else we have to deal with. Take her heart, put it back in, hook a bowel back up. Miraculously, the baby's heart starts beating again. And uh, he said, he, he, then he, he, he stepped from the podium and we had our food, then he came back. He said, I'm going to tell you the rest of the story. Several years later, the child is, he didn't say, but running around talking elementary school age, I believe. The mother comes back for a follow-up visit, brings the child, who's whatever, six, seven years old. And he meets the child and said, he says, first thing, what's her name? And she said, we named her Hope. And she wants to be a doctor. And I'm not on drugs anymore. Got a job, life's together. Love is expensive. Love is not. But God loves you like that. God loves you like that. God loves you so much that you are worth more to him. He said he sees every sparrow that falls. How much more does he love you, he says. This is the core of the God. The core of eternity, the message of eternity, is that God loves you that much. 
Well, I wanted to tell that story. I, 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 gave, I, let, the first, I let the first service vote because I, I wanted to tell that story. I didn't have time to preach the whole sermon, so I let them vote, and they voted on the story rather than the, my sermon. <laughs> so I wanted, to talk, I wanted to talk about what it means to be human because that's a great conversation. What does it mean to be human? That's the conversation that you're going to be having out there in the world in the days to come. What does it mean to be a human? I'm not going to say much about it, but it, it, doesn't just, it does not just mean you're in the image of God. That's, that's the short answer. That's the short answer, that you are in the image of God. D- Dr. White, who's, who's saving lives in Kenya and built an amazing hospital in Kenya for training doctors in Kenya, he defined human the other night as made in the image of God. That's a good definition. But I say that falls short. That falls short. That's only a part of the definition. What makes you a human is that you have the capacity to love God. You have the capacity to have communion with God. You have the capacity to communicate with God. You have the capacity to feel the presence of God. You have capacity to know the voice of God. That's what makes you a human being. Your animal, your pet, I know you love them, but they do not have the capacity to communicate with God the way you do. I've never sat with people. In fact, I had the conversation of the night with people that are around the table, smart people, way more educated than me. They all know about that voice inside of them that makes them a human being. I'm telling you, don't underwrite, don't just think I'm just a human being. The Bible says you're created a little lower than the angels. You're just a little lower than, the, than Gabriel, man. You are something else. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're something else. Now, you could mean that in a derogatory way, I'm sure. Now, why? Why do we, uh, what, what is the credibility of embracing eternal life. I would, I, I'm going to give you, um, I'm going to give you three, three reasons that I believe it's totally credible to, to say with confidence we have eternal life, which means we're going to live forever, but it also means the power of the resurrection is, resides within us. It's just a matter of God flipping the switch. First of all, the human conscience tells us eternal life is true. Now, don't underestimate the importance of your conscience, the importance of your own consciousness, and what you intuitively know. Don't underestimate that. It's something that's non-scientific, because it's actually not. What is science? Science is, we observe it, and then we tell you what we think it means. That's what science is. So I'll, that's all I'll say about that. According to Pew Research Survey, and I, I, this is very significant to me. According to Pew Research Survey conducted in 2021, 75% of Americans say they believe in heaven. Six in 10 Americans, 62%, say they believe in hell. 
65% believe people are reunited with deceased loved ones. 65% believe we will meet God. You probably had no, I had no idea. When I looked this up, I thought I would, I thought I would see like 25, 30%, 10%. I was shocked that the majority of people believe they're going to live forever and that they're going to meet God. By the way, 50% believe they'll be united with their animals in heaven. And some of you said, 50%? That's terrible. It should be 100%. I believe something like 60% believe we will have perfect, healthy bodies in the next life. I believe that deep conviction of an afterlife is a part of the God consciousness that God has placed in you as your creator. Okay, let's move on. Jesus Christ said it. it now, if, you, if you're going to discredit everything Jesus said, well, Jesus said a big deal. Well, then you've discredited the golden rule and a bunch of other stuff. If you're going to say, oh, I, he said it. But he said it. He said, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but everlasting life, eternal life. First John chapter 5, verse 11 and 13, this is the testimony God has given us that he, that, uh, 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 given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son does not have life. I write these things to you, for you believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may believe, know that you have eternal life. And of course, the Holy Scriptures talk about credibility. There's a Credibility. I wish we had, we need three hours to talk about the credibility of the scripture and whether the scripture is credible. But I'm just going to say it is right now and hope you believe me. Romans 6 23, for the wages of sin is death and the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Revelations 21 verse 3, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among people, the people, and he will dwell with them and they will be his people, and God himself will, will be with them and be their God, and he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. That's the scripture. Now, let's close with this. How do we embrace eternal life? What are the ways to embrace eternal life? I've given you quite a bit of scripture today and I thought that was important to verify this conviction that I have about eternal life. As we close, though, with talking about how to practically embrace eternal life, I won't give you a bunch of scriptures. I'll continue without scripture to, to prove my point, but I, I don't think it's necessary. Certainly, if you need more scriptures, they're available. But there are three or four practical things you need to, to do to take hold of eternal life. One is think and meditate on eternity. Think and meditate on eternity. As I alluded to a while ago, when life is difficult, which it will be sometimes, when things go wrong, when the world is confusing and out of sorts and obviously broken, don't be guilty. Don't feel guilty about thinking about eternity. Like I talked to, those songs that we used to sing, that, that we used to sing, I'm getting ready to leave this world. We used to sing, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Those, th those sentiments are, are, are that, that, it's that balancing thing, that the weight of eternity. Think of, think of your mind and your emotions as scales. And when life is difficult, you will look like this. 
And if you want to get yourself back into emotional balance, put eternity on the other side. I'm going to live forever with God. God's going to take care of me forever. This world is not all there is. There's another world, a world where there's no pain, no death, no crying, no all of that stuff that I talked about several minutes ago. And it will, make, it will bring you back into emotional balance. Celebrate and cultivate a love of eternity. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, we used to sing. Look full in His wonderful face, and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Incorporate eternity into your system of values. I said incorporate eternity in your system of values. There's only one thing in this room that's going to last forever. It's not the chairs. It's not the carpet. It's not the building. It's nothing else. The only thing in this room that's going to last eternally is the people that are in this room. You invest in eternity when you invest your life in people and not things. Finally, Appropriate the power of eternity in the here and now. We still believe in miracles. Miracles are not, don't always happen or we would call them normals. We call them miracles because they don't always happen. But the power of the resurrection, the power of eternity resides in you for God to flip the switch and give you a miracle at any moment. And that miracle is the power of eternity that's invading time. It's when eternity evades time, invades time and space, and overrules the laws of nature. It's what I've told you about before. My Uncle Bob, very reserved man. Nobody in the world I trust more than Bob McCutcheon. He's a professor at North Central University at one time. When he was working on his master's degree at Texas Christian University, he's walking home in the dark. He had had a preaching gig and he had an offering in his pocket in cash that the church had given him. And, and things were, were tight, of course, going to school and living in an apartment there in Fort Worth, Texas with his wife. And a man steps out from behind a, a, a lamppost and says, give me a light. And he, and he says, well, I don't, I don't have a light, I don't smoke. He says, well, I didn't really want a light anyway. I want your money. And he pulls a knife. And Bob McCutcheon stands there and points his finger at him and said, in the name of Jesus, drop that knife. And the guy, instead of moving away, the guy moved toward him, and Bob didn't move. He just said it again. In the name of Jesus, drop the knife. The guy dropped the knife and ran. You know what he saw? um, He saw eternity. A lady in our church several years ago called me over had a growth in her ovary. Uh, they, they had clearly identified it. She asked me to pray. We prayed. She said a warm feeling goes through my body when you prayed. She went back to the doctor. It was gone. That's eternity invading now. And it's available. It's, 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 it's not like a, a switch you can flip on. God has to flip it on. God has to turn it on. You have to have faith, but God has to turn the switch for a miracle. Like I said, we wouldn't call them that, but it's available for you. You need to live in that. Never assume that God is not wanting to release resurrection power to transform your present circumstance. 
Never assume that. I'm going to ask our, our prayer partners to take their place at this time. And I want to pray for those of you. Uh, if there, there might be one, one person, five people, three people. I don't, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. I want, I want to give everyone an opportunity to cross that line of faith and to become a child of God. I want to give everyone an, an opportunity to, to, to make that decision. You know, investment experts know as the market uh, uh, goes up and down to read the signs of the stock market about which investments to make, which are going to go up, which are going to go down. And uh, you want to find a dependable vehicle for your money. Well, Jesus functions as the foremost as we, they would say in that business, the foremost market timer. He instructs us to transfer our funds from the fallen earth to the permanent heaven. And so that's what it means. When I pray with you right now, you're making the decision. If you decide to be a Christ follower, you're making that decision to transfer your funds to a more secure account where they will not be affected by ups and downs of life. And they will grow in value. And you will reap all the benefits of everything you, you, everything you invest in. The earth will die and burn and disappear, but everything you invest in heaven will be waiting for you in eternity. That's the good news. So I'm going to pray a prayer. I want you to stand, please. And... Uh, by the way, if you want prayer for any need, you can move now, even while I pray. Just move out while I pray. If you want prayer for, move for, for, if you want prayer for one of your needs, if you're praying, if you want to receive Christ, move out and come and stand in front of one, the, one of the prayer partners, and they will begin to pray for you. Okay. Now I want you to pray this. Everybody pray it that way. The person who's um, who's maybe shy uh, but needs to pray it will pray it with you. All right, Heavenly Father. I come to you in the name of Jesus. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. I welcome Jesus, your son, into my life to be my Savior and Lord, to forgive me of all of my sins, and to give me the great gift of eternal life. I receive it now. In Jesus' name, thank you for saving me. Amen. Lord, I pray at this moment, as we move into prayer, that nobody will leave this room without touching the eternal for their temporal situations. In Jesus' name.